this time, I'd invite you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, the ushers will be coming down the aisles so they have Bibles. If you do not have one, we'd be glad to offer you this one. And you can keep it if you wish, uh, or you can turn it in as you walk out the doors at the end of the service. So we are wrapping up a, a series out of 2 Corinthians that we began in January. And uh, this particular book that, that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church was a one in a series of letters. Now, we have 1 Corinthians, we have 2 Corinthians, but in there, uh, there are multiple letters that Paul wrote in, that are kind of compiled into these books. And additionally, uh, there were other letters that we don't have that he clearly references uh, in this book. And so, it, it's a long journey. Now, in chapter 13, where we're going to be today, this is Paul wrapping up his letter to them, and seemingly his letters to them, he is about to return to them, and he's preparing for his arrival with them. And so this is uh, kind of a conclusion, conclusion, but it's also a preparation for the ongoing relationship, hopefully a restored relationship between him and this church. And so let's begin by reading verses 5 and 6. Paul says to them, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Let me stop there for a moment. He's about to return to them. He's going to be with them in presence. And what he tells them to do is to examine themselves and test themselves to see if they are legitimate believers. Now, how's that as a letter to be sent before you come? Make sure you're the real deal. Now, we're going to go into the rest of this text, and, and clearly Paul includes himself in this journey. Like, he says, I, you know, that we are examining ourselves. We are testing ourselves. Now, is this consistent, this idea of like, well, if you're a child of God, you've given yourself to Jesus Christ. Is it a healthy pattern to test yourself to see if you are truly a child of God? Is it healthy to even question that or to examine yourself in light of that? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul also writes this, and, and this is connected to the same thing. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So you have Paul writing to two different churches something very similar, that, that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not, not out of fear that we might lose it or whatever, but to understand that this is a special work of grace in our lives, and we're to handle it with great care and, and to acknowledge the continued work of God in our lives. And so going back to 2 Corinthians where he says, so examine yourselves and test yourselves to see if your faith is valid. Now, I don't know exactly how they would about this, like examining themselves. And I have a few questions I think that would go in line with this, but what, is it something that you get excited about when you think of an examination? 
I mean, I, I know right now, I, I, having talked with several students that were college students over the last two weeks, they were not excited about this season of time because it's finals period, right? They're taking all these exams and, and they're going over the things that they've already studied and in some cases already even been tested over. But now it's a final exam to make sure that they've got it all. And, and the purpose of this is so that when they conclude, it's kind of the compilation of it all. When they conclude by taking this final exam, they're forced to go through it all again in preparation for the exam so that in hope it entrenches, that it cements itself into the knowledge of the student when they take this exam. But when you start getting into the examination of your life, that gets a little personal, doesn't it? Especially when you've got somebody else saying to you, you know, you should examine yourself to see if you're truly a child of God. Now, how's that feel? If I went up to you, again, Paul was founding pastor of this church, so he's a pastoral figure. Imagine if I practice what Paul's doing here and I just start coming into this congregation telling you to stay as long as I, it takes me to go through this, but I come up to you at different points and I say, Examine yourself. Are you truly a child of God? You're on the spot. Especially if I start asking questions to get clarity of that answer. And so, I, you know, just to kind of feel a little bit of the squirmishness there might be from such a question, I, I, where I relate to this the most was my examination of being hired here seven years ago. In fact, it was it will, the, the seven-year anniversary of me coming and speaking before the church as part of my candidacy is actually uh, December, uh, or sorry, not December, but it, it was May 15th. So that was when I came and spoke uh, to this church as part of my candidacy. But the, but the grilling and the examination had already happened. I, I was in a meeting in Dr. Michon's house with the whole search team. My wife was sitting there as well. And I got grilled on things from theology to life practice to leadership to things I do with my personal life. And, and, you, and, they, and it went quite long. I mean, we were there for, for nearly three hours. And, and just when you think that was the end of it, then they said, well, you know what? We're going to have you meet with the whole pastoral team. And so I go there, and they did the same thing. They examined me. Now, there I kind of softened them up a little bit. I made some chocolate chip cookies, and I brought them and handed those out first so that, the, that there's a sweet taste in their mouth before they start speaking to me, right? So, so that's going on, and, and we go through, and, and, you know, and that was mutual. I got to ask them questions. They got to ask me questions. And then I'm thinking, okay, maybe the examination's done. And then the search team decide to have one more meeting, and this one was not going to include my wife. It was just going to be me and the search team. And, and we start off, and, and I'll, I never forget this, and I'm going to call out names because it's my privilege with a mic in my head here. Uh, <laughs> But, but Dan Bailey was leading the search process, and he starts off by saying, Tony, we want you to feel comfortable. We really like who you are. We think uh, you're a godly man, saying all these nice things. And he says, so just please be comfortable. Do not be nervous about this time. I said, okay. So he prays, and then he starts off. First question, has there been anything in your life that you have done that would embarrass LEFC going forward? <laughs> I'm looking at him like, you just told me to be relaxed. 
Now you're asking me to divulge something that could possibly embarrass LEFC going forward. And then I'm thinking, I'm, I'm trying to like, I was so caught off guard by the question. I'm like, I don't know. And I'm thinking through, you know, have I done anything to, that would possibly bring embarrassment to LEFC in the future? And, and, I, and so I was able to come up. I mean, when you're a youth pastor for 18 years, there's a lot of things. <laughs> There's a lot of things you could say is embarrassing, but it's not necessarily immoral or unethical. But, but uh, so you're, you're going through, it's like, oh, do I share that? Do I share this? You know, but uh, you're going through and you're on the hot seat and there's just, they're, they're pulling away the layers. They're making sure that there is nothing that is hidden. And I tell you, it, it, while I can look back and I can smile and I say, thank you, God, for getting me through that. But there was something to that process that was so necessary for the sake of the church and even for the sake of me. That, that to go through that process made sure that both sides are seeking clearly what God is saying. And that's really what the whole process is about, was getting clarity as to what God was saying. And, and, and so examinations are, are, are extremely important in real life, not only just in the secular educational realm, but also the spiritual realm. So we should not take lightly the fact that Paul has just said to the church in Corinth, you need to examine yourselves. You need to examine yourselves and test that your faith is valid. And then you'll see that, uh, that he affirms them following, but let's look at what does it, what could it be? What kind of questions could be part of such an examination? And so if in light of this, it's saying, he's saying, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. So test yourselves. So this is about, are you in the faith? So what questions would be a good examination to see if you are in the faith? Okay. So I'm playing Paul for a moment. I, I'm speaking and I'm, I'm talking to you as a church. What would be the questions that I would ask of you so that you could then examine your faith and determine whether it's valid or not? So here's some questions. Do you love and obey Jesus? Remember what Jesus said? If you love me, you'll, you'll obey my commandments. And so you know those who love Jesus when they're being obedient to Christ. And so I felt like I've got to start with the examination of what Jesus said was a litmus test. It's like, you'll know those who are mine and those who truly love me by whether or not they're obeying me. Secondly, we know that it says in Scripture that, that we receive the Holy Spirit having given ourselves over to the Lordship of Christ, when we become a child of God, we're marked with the Holy Spirit. It's Ephesians chapter 1. We're marked with the Holy Spirit who does an, an ongoing work in our lives. And so the next question then I have is, is there evidence of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in your life? So again, I'm asking you this. You then can, in your mind, Think through it. Is there evidence that there is the work of God through his Holy Spirit in my life where there is conviction that is happening to help, no, help us be guided through what is truth, what is false, and to know where to obey and where to, to misdirect from that which is the world and all the lies that could be there, but to go to truth and be obedient to the truth and to truly have our eyes on Jesus. Is there that convicting work of the Spirit? 
Next, I would ask this. Then if there's convicting work of the Spirit, is there fruit of the Spirit in your life? Because after all, it says in Scripture that the fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, goodness, kindness, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit found in the book of Galatians where it says that, that for those who have the Spirit of God in them, you'll begin to see those attributes, those qualities growing in somebody who's walking by steps of the Holy Spirit. So, do you love and obey Jesus? Is there evidence of the convicting work of the Spirit of God where, where you're hearing like when you know you've done something wrong, there's conviction. Or, or when you see that this is where you should go, there's conviction to go there. Is it that convicting work of the Spirit there? And then is there evidence of that Spirit flowing out of you where there's actual fruit of those things that I just shared? And then lastly, this question, because it says in Romans chapter 12 that for those who are in Christ again, we're not conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather we're transformed by the work of God in our lives. And so is there a transformation taking place in our lives where there is a difference? What you used to be, you no longer are. You, you're seeing a direct journey, a flow, a changing of who you are. Now, perfection does not arrive day one. I mean, that's an ongoing work. In fact, it speaks of regularly that there's an ongoing work of God in our lives. Now, he sees us immediately when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. He sees us immediately as being clean, whiter than snow. But as far as the work of God in us, it's an ongoing transformational work that will be going on until our final breath. And so is there a transformation going on in you where there is a changing from who you used to be to now who you're becoming in Christ? That every day you're becoming more and more like him. That would be the test that if I was to think of how would I examine myself based on what I know from Scripture, those are the questions I would be asking myself to find out if I'm truly in the faith. Having said that, I'm going to give you another bold step. That if you truly want to examine yourself and test your faith as valid, go through that series of questions and then, after a period of time of, of putting that before the Lord and praying over it, would you be willing to give those questions to somebody else to ask back about your life? In other words, let somebody take the test, these, answering these questions, and their observation of you. Ooh, now that gets really personal. Because this would have to be somebody that you trust will be honest and also has your best interests in mind, right? But you need them to be honest, not just somebody that's just going to make you feel good, but, they, but that you know, love you, and care for you. So this past week, as part of my preparation for sabbatical, we've been doing this with everybody that is going into sabbatical, is that we meet with, so Joel and I meet with the person that's going on staff, and we share with them just things that we would just love to see them to go before the Lord about, to grow in as an individual, both spiritually and, and as a leader, and so on. It, it, it's a, it's, yes, it's a part critique, but it's also, it's an opportunity for growth. 
So I got my opportunity this past week. And, and Corey and Dan, who are up here uh, with my family, uh, they were able to sit down with me. And here's the cool thing. I know that they love me. I know that they care about me. And I know that they want to see me succeed. And so therefore, I needed to be vulnerable enough to allow them to see me for who I am. They asked a lot of questions about where my personal state of being is. And then they had some advice on, on what they'd like to see me do during my sabbatical or over these next uh, few years of how where I can have growth opportunities. And, and while it's interesting to hear that you're not perfect yet, you know, because the reality is, is that you want to think that there's nothing but good to say, but the reality is, is there's, that, that can't be done for anybody. There's always growth opportunities. And so if you can be humble enough to allow somebody to ask you these questions, you stand to gain way more than a personal self-evaluation. Paul says in, 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 uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when, he talking, when he's talking about judgment of, of motives, he says, listen, I don't even judge myself. This is Paul speaking. I don't even judge myself because I'm not a good judge of even my own motives. Paul is getting so blatantly honest. He's like, we can really fool ourselves sometimes. And he's acknowledging that that can happen even to him. And so when he says here to examine yourselves, to see whether or not you are in the faith and testing yourself, these are the good questions to ask about whether you're in the faith or not, but then invite others to do the same in observation of you. I believe it can be hugely effective for you. Now, why is this helpful? Why, why even do examinations at all? Why, why would Paul even suggest this is a necessary step? I kind of came up with a couple things. Just This is more anecdotal. This isn't in the text. But this is, as I've looked, when, I've been, when I allow myself the rough and vulnerable journey of examination, not only self but having others, that, that what I find is that examinations continue to drive the knowledge and commitment of, towards Christ deeper within me. You see, when I ask vulnerable questions of myself in regards to my relationship with Jesus, I find that it, it truly causes the knowledge of him to become more profound and it drives my commitment even deeper within me. And then if I include somebody else in that process, it even sharpens it more. And it's more effective in my life. Secondly, it also does this, and I think this is really, really important for you to hear. I have noticed that when I do this for myself and I include somebody else into the process, it shocks me out of my current state of coasting. You hearing me? It shocks me out of my current state of coasting to get on a healthier path. You see, aren't we by nature a type of, a type of people where we hit that place where it's like we're in a good spot. Let's just put it on coasting or we put it on you know just automatic drive and we're just enjoying the journey right but then as we go along we miss out on what God is actually wanting to say to us because we're we're in that like God don't bother me right now I'm in a good place don't bother me right now I'm in a good place but the reality is is God wants to shock us out of that 
He wants us to be aware of what's going on in the present, not about how things have been good in the past. He wants us to be aware of the present, and sometimes God even reveals things to us about the future when we're being increasingly aware of what His Spirit is doing in our life. Now, here's the good thing. That when Paul, who is that friend, that pastor, that's asking them the questions about their faith, notice what he says in verse 6. This is, this is when you know the motive is about love and care for each other. He says, I, Paul, I trust that you will discover that, that we, you and me, have not failed the test. You see, he, had, he presumed that, 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 that the church that, that he had poured so much into and he knew so much about, that, that even with their judgment of him, that all the parties included would not fail the test. But let's look forward, going into verse 7 now. He says this, Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood this test, but so that you will be able to do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and, and our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things, that when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority that the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Hmm. So he's giving a little bit of his motives now as to why he, at this time, encouraged an examination of their souls. That first of all, he wanted them, let's, let's get past the fact, we're not going to judge each other about whether or not we're in the faith. We're in the faith. We're committed to Jesus. You as a church, me as a pastor, we're committed to the faith. So now, let's make decisions that are right and live according to righteousness. Again, remember what Jesus says. If you love me, you'll obey my command. If you love me, you'll follow me. As, and that was his command, is to do the things I have done and to follow the things I have taught. So we're going to live those right things out because of the love we have for Jesus. Verse 8 then speaks to this. It says that, we're gonna beca that because we've gone through this examination and because we have fulfilled the test, we've, we've affirmed the test that, yes, we're all children of God, then, then, and we're going to stand with truth as part of that, then you begin to see then that we're going to stand not against the truth, but we're going to live in truth, which means that we have to know the truth around us. And in order to know the truth, it begins, first of all, with knowing the truth of God's righteousness and his holy template that is found in Christ. You can only know the right way to live if you study the life of Christ. We can get the commands of Paul. We can get the guidance of, of Peter. We can get the guidance of, of John and his epistles. But in the end of the day, they get their marching orders for how Christ lived and manifested the righteousness and the holiness of God. So if we know who Jesus is, then we have the template for how to live in our daily life. Then Christ, if you're living in Christ, he then gives you the lens by which you can test the truth. 
And so, you know, the truth aspect, the Holy Spirit can help us in being realistic with where we're truly at in our hearts. And, and, and the Holy Spirit can convict us where we've been wrong and, and, and then guide us towards what is right. But, but when you have Christ as your lens, the test of who you are becomes so important because then the examination can expose you to exactly what you need to do in regards to your relationship with Jesus. Without the examination, you can just simply, our natural default is to assume we're fine. Now, we might, if we're in Jesus, we're fine in regards to eternity. But we're not maybe fine in regards to what God wants to do through you in the lives of other people. And so, because God did not decide that he was satisfied with just the holy huddle of 99. He was always about the 100 sheep. And our role as part of that sheephood, if you will, I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it one. All right? So if we're a part of the sheephood of believers, then our calling is to not be satisfied with the flock at 99. That's why churches, and I celebrate what churches are doing in this area. They're growing, and we shouldn't be satisfied with where we're at. I don't care, the, care whether the church is 50 people or over 1,000 people. It doesn't matter. They should not be satisfied with the, those sheep that are in the pen. There's always sheep that are not there. And so as part of that, how can we even get convicted to go after that sheep unless we examine ourselves? A church that dies is a church that stopped examining itself. I'll go on record for that. A church that dies is a church that stops examining itself. A church that thrives is one that's willing to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to convict and continue to make aware of what God is doing around us that we can participate in that work. And so when you see in this that, that when we begin to, to uh, allow the truth to be what we stand, the truth of who we are and the truth of who's not here, that we participate with Christ in his work. And then, and I love in verse 9, then when he's talking about, okay, if we live right and we do the right things of God and we are doing so based on an informed truth, then verse 9 becomes possible. Then we are glad whenever we are weak, but you are then are strong, and our prayer is then that we will be fully restored. See, when there is a, a truth and a desire to do right, so there's truth and awareness to what the reality is of our personal condition, and then the truth of where others are at in the regards to who's not here that should be here, then, and when we're dealing with the reality of that, then we have the opportunity to do what is right and be able to fully restore. And see, Paul's aim with this church is, I want reconciliation with you so that we can do the great work of God. But he's encouraging them before he comes to go on this journey of examining themselves, as he will do as well. Is this not consistent with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 in the first few verses when he says, how can you possibly help a brother or sister who has a, a speck in their eye? How can you possibly help them when you have a plank in your own? I love the the contrast that Jesus does there. Now, he was a great teacher, uh, probably the best of all time. And he says, a tiny speck, you see it on their eye, and you want to help them with it. Meanwhile, you're trying to help them while you got this four by six, or I don't even know if that exists, four by four, two by six. I don't build, okay? <laughs> but you got this big plank in your eyes. 
And you're trying to maneuver around that to try to help the little speck in their eye. That's Jesus' way of saying, listen, self-examine, right? Self-examine before you help somebody else. So Jesus is even saying, go on an examination. Make sure you're in a good place, and then you can find reconciliation and restoration. That is the best method towards finding true reconciliation is when both sides, doing an examination of themselves, be fully in account to the truth of where they are so that they can do what is right and reconcile. That is when you know the Spirit of God is at work. Amen? Because, man, if you can get there, it is amazing because if, if there is a two parties that are, have a broken relationship and both have gone to the place of doing a full examination, even willing to allow somebody else to speak into that examination, then they're going to come to the table of the broken relationship with the opportunity of humility, what it provides in reconciling. Because now both are coming realizing, I have erred. And here's how I've done that. I have been wrong. And they may not have the full context of how they maybe have wronged the other, but now there's a humble spirit by which they can come together and find out grounds for reconciliation. I kind of liken it to a sermon I preached in my first year at this church. If you were here back in 2011 during the series at Christmas, I explained the difference between two key words. There's peacekeeping and there's peacemaking. There's peacekeeping and there's peacemaking. Peacekeeping says, I just want peace in the moment. I don't want to feel any kind of tension in the moment. So let's do whatever we can to throw it under the rug and keep the peace in this moment. As contrasted to the biblical term of peacemaking, which says, it might be difficult up front. It may be hard up front. But we have to deal with the truth of the reality of what's going on in this relationship in order for true peace, a lasting peace, to ever happen. And I believe this is where Paul is trying to get. He is trying to make peace between himself and this church where there was a fractured relationship. He is dealing with the issues. He's being it's truthful, but he wants to bring it into common ground. We're all believers, and, and, and so this isn't about our faith. This is about being with the truth and doing what God would ask us to do. So do the examination. Let the Holy Spirit work in us that we can be humble enough to approach each other and truly experience peace. You see, if he was wanting to do peacekeeping, Paul would end this letter by just saying, oh, we're good. We're good. Let's just go. Let's keep going. We're not going to talk about how you've erred or how I've erred. We're just going to keep going. But it's, quite frankly, leaves the battle for another day. It's still burning under the surface and ready to explode. So what are the takeaways in this? New beginnings can best happen when we allow ourselves to be examined. I believe that many people feel stuck in their spiritual journey, in their relationship with Jesus. Some of you right now are thinking, I would like to just be honest and say amen to that right now. I feel stuck. If you feel that's an accurate statement of where you're at right now, the way to get to a new beginning 
is to go before the Lord God Almighty and say, God, am I truly yours? Am I truly yours? Where am I not responding to the work of your Holy Spirit? How am I ignoring the convicting work of the Holy Spirit? When have I turned my back of when the Spirit was working in me? Why am I standing where I'm standing now and where should I be standing if I was doing what you would want to do? And then if you're bold enough, again, to truly get an accurate assessment, find somebody that you know has your best interest, that loves you, but is aware of you and will speak the truth to you. Allow them to examine and ask the same question. Do you see anywhere in my life where God has been working in me and I've chosen to ignore that convicting work? Do you see in me a pattern of turning my ears off when when God's speaking to me? You see, if you can go through such an examination, I believe that when you come out the other side, you'll, you'll receive from God what Paul gives to this church is like, listen, I know you're going to pass the test. I know you're going to pass the test. And if God's speaking to you, I know you're going to pass the test because I've done the work in you. I just want you to experience all that I've intended for you. And it's an opportunity for a new beginning. Anytime somebody was so bold to come and speak into my life, and I shared a couple of stories over this series of where different people that I loved and cared for came and confronted me for my attitude and spirit. I didn't like it up front. In fact, I may have even had a defensive spirit up front. But in the end of the day, God used that word from them to convict me, and I had to go back and wrestle with God and finally admit my friend was right. My friend was right. And be willing to then allow God, once I've acknowledged I I was wrong in this, to allow God to begin to do a, a a renewed work in my life. And I can tell you, new beginnings happen every time if you receive it and don't run from it. Secondly, I believe in if you follow this idea of examination and you allow God to do a new work in you where you got a new opportunity, then, then with knowing the truth of your spiritual condition as a follower of Jesus, it will open the door then for humble interaction with others. Because if God gets you to a place where you're in a healthy spot with him, then you will then more in a more healthy manner engage others who are in need of the work of God as well. Because a person that does not do self-examination, that goes and tries to interject upon others, guess what ends up happening? They come off as judgmental, critical, and they end up condemning rather than building. Why is it that Christians are very ineffective in confronting sin? It's because we don't follow what Jesus said. Before you ever go and speak into another person's life, do a self-check. And if you really want to get honest, do what Paul says. Paul says, listen, I'll do a self-check and And I might get 60% of what's wrong with me, but I need somebody else being able to speak into that other 40. And if you get to that place, then you're going to be so humble and so gracious by how you confront or share with another. And then it becomes more constructive territory by which that other individual and you mutually get built up. 
So if you allow this new beginning to happen, then it will enable you the opportunities to have humble interaction with others. And then this leads to the third and most important thing, that if there's broken relationships in your life, or there's broken relationships around you where maybe God could use you to bring healing between two parties, that if you're in a healthy, humble, gracious place, then restoration with God and with others can begin. And it's a journey because not everybody will have, be at the place where you're at where they've done the examination. And they might even be defensive up front. But you have to trust that by your gracious, humble spirit and being led and having heard of God to speak into another's life that God could truly begin to bring about a restored relationship. And after all, is that not what we're all looking for? Is that where there is brokenness, there is healing. Where there is brokenness, there's renewed hope. Where there's brokenness, there's new life. That is our prayer. And that's what Paul is asking for as he speaks to this church. It's like, listen, I'm coming back. I'm coming back, and I want our relationship to be restored. But we need to do an examination so that when we come back, there is a graciousness, there is a humility, and we're truly hearing from God and not operating out of the flesh. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask that in this moment, that if there are things that are broken inside of us, maybe it's not broken relationships with, the, with others, but it's a broken relationship with you. God, I just ask that, that, that you would then do a new work where they allow the convicting work of the Spirit to begin to reveal truth. Give boldness to people to be willing to ask others to speak into their lives. So, Lord, that we can be restored to you first and then graciously and humbly be restored to others. And, Lord, if there are those here who, if they took this test, they wouldn't even be a believer, as Paul says here. Perhaps you might fail the test, but, uh, I, I, God, I don't know if there are people here that, that just don't know Jesus. God, if, if they are here, and, they, and that is them, and they would, they would say the test, they don't measure up, they need Jesus, I ask God that they would bend the knee today and let you do a transforming work in their life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So if you are a child of God, you have an opportunity to examine yourself and again to invite another into that journey so that much can be accomplished in your life but also in your relationships. And I would also say that there's an opportunity for those who if you took the test, you're like, I don't know Jesus, and I need him. That you have that opportunity to even cry out to him now. We'd be glad to pray with you for whatever the issues may be. There will be people underneath the cross over here to my right, your left. They'll be glad to pray with you in regards to that. But I want to conclude our time with Paul's conclusion to the church in Corinth. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice Strive for full res restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I mean, that's up to you. All right. All right. But it's greet one another with a holy kiss. And all God's people here send their greetings. But may the peace, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You're dismissed.
Thank you very much. Enjoy.